continuing the series that started last week with Sasha about mothers and midwives. And just to recap um, some things that Sasha was teaching us last week, in case you weren't here or if you were here, um, just to lay that foundation because I'm going to be building on top of it. Uh, we learned about the upside down economy of God and how the things that this world teaches us are so opposed in almost every case they are opposites of what God wants to teach us and the ways that he wants us to walk out our life and our faith. Sasha taught us about consecration. She taught us about um, when we mix the things that we learn from this world and when we mix those with the things that we learn from the Lord and walking in his ways, when they're combined in our lives, it leads to a lack of joy. And on the opposite side of that, as our consecration increases, as we say no to more and more things of this world, and yes to his calling on our lives, that our joy actually increases because we are of one mind and not divided. Um, she taught us how to encourage each other, how we are, one of the ways that we can encourage each other as we run this race of faith. Um, and one of her main points was that we have to repent of being the king of our own thrones, of laying our will, our ways, our wisdom, the way that we would like to see our life lived out, to lay that down and surrender our mindset. She taught us about God giving more grace to the humble and opposing the proud, and how that each of us will go through our own wrestlings as God pursues our heart, as he pursues our yes, our yes to him and his ways, our yes to his wisdom and trusting, trusting that his ways are far beyond and above anything that we could possibly imagine because he sees the whole picture. He sees how every little point interconnectedly and touches things from my life to your life to the next life to the next life. He sees that big picture and we just see in part. She taught us also last week, which is so important, that every day we have to come hungry and eat of the word. And it is that that strengthens our inner man. So we are going to build on that today. Um, last week was Elizabeth. This week is Mary. Our theme being midwives and birthing new things and what God wants to birth in us. Mary, obviously, we all know the story. God used her to bring the Savior into this world. But beyond that, I would like for us to focus today on her attitude, not just in how she responded to the angel's announcement, but when she goes to visit Elizabeth and her song that we are given in scripture um, of her attitude in response. It's not just that she's birthing the Savior into the world. It's she's, she's showing us how to be midwives ourselves, how to allow the king of the universe to birth new things in our lives, to walk in new ways, um, and maybe not even our own life, but being a midwife to those around us. 
How are we going to be midwives to the people who our lives touch? How are we going to encourage them to walk in these new ways that God is calling them to walk? Um, so our main scripture packet passage today is in Luke 1. It's 26 through 56. It's pretty long, but bear with me. Maybe I'll get my nervousness out of me while we're reading 30 verses. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this could be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her at that time. Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is this child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? At the sound of your greeting, as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Mary's song, uh, the next couple verses, is what I really want to focus on. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and he has set, sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Um, the truth that I would like to present to you guys today is that our value lies in our created purpose. Mary, as young as she was, seemed to 
she didn't seem to. She understood this probably better than any of us. Um, she realized that even though she would not have chosen to have a baby before she was married, she would not have chosen the scorn from everybody around her, the whispers, the backs turned. She would not have chosen to do it this way. But she understood that God's ways are far higher than our ways, and his wisdom is beyond our understanding. And she understood that sacrificing her own plans for her life was a pivotal piece of how she would surrender and give her life over and live for what God had actually created her for. Oh. This calling over our lives, guys, um, much as in Mary's case and as in every case of every pregnancy, there, there's, as, as you come to the point of delivery, of walking in these new ways, these things that, that God is birthing in you, these new ways that he wants you to walk out your faith, we feel trapped. We feel hemmed in. We feel squeezed through tight places, just like the baby being birthed into this world. Um, we have lived our life probably for ourselves, and God is calling us to a higher way of walking. We have the expectations of the people around us that are used to how we have been performing and living our lives, and yet God is calling us to lay those things down and live for him. We have our own, our own kingdoms, our own thrones, our own worlds that we want to control, that we want to... Don't, don't mess with this. I've got this. I know what I'm doing, and I, I, I know better than you. I know better than God. And God says, that's, that's not my way. I'm calling you to die to everything that you thought you ever wanted. Because what I have for you is so much better and so much sweeter. And it fits into this big picture of history that I've been writing since the beginning of time. And I know how you fit into it. Um, sometimes I, I feel like rather than just seeing the one side of the coin, it helps to see the other side of the coin just to compare and contrast uh, behaviors and attitudes. And as I was thinking through Mary and how she responded with such grace, my mind was also drawn to the Old Testament, to the first mother that we meet there, to Eve, and just the sharp contrast of how she decided she would live her life, or at least in those first moments, those first decisions that she had to make and now Eve gets the bad end of the stick. I mean, if any, if any one of us was there, we'd have made the same decision and we're fooling ourselves if we think otherwise. She didn't have the, a mother telling her what she could do or should do or guiding her along the way. She didn't have other people that she has seen walk it out and fail. She didn't have any of those warning signs. All she had was this perfect heavenly father 
that had given her a few rules. Don't eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And then she had Satan whispering lies, whispering deceit, whispering fear in her ear. And her heart, which she did not know at that time, was deceitful above all things. She didn't know that she couldn't trust it. She didn't know not to trust her emotions. She didn't know that she was supposed to be walking in step with her spirit man living within her. All she knew was this lie. This lie had been whispered to her. That she couldn't trust God. And she thought about it. And it resonated with her own heart, not knowing that it's her own heart that it's resonating with, not with God, not with truth, not the fact that she was supposed to trust and obey. This fear that Satan sowed in her heart. She allowed him to sow it. And with allowing him to sow that seed, she also gave him permission further down the line to come and reap the harvest that belongs to him. And guys, Satan, Satan will ask to sift us at the most inopportune moments. He will ask to sift us when that baby is about to be delivered. He will ask to sift us when the battle is the fiercest and we have to push through. Megan's been telling me about exercise the last couple of weeks and how you, your body gets to this certain point where you are just fatigued and you want to give up. Everything in you just wants to quit. But when you push past it, I don't know what's released, some endorphins or something, and then you get this new burst of energy and you can continue fighting. Um, so that's the flip side of the coin. Eve chose to act out of fear. She chose to act out of protecting her own she chose, instead of trusting and obeying, to erect her own throne, to, in, to create her own kingdom. And she was going to sit on the throne of her kingdom and call the shots. And we see the death that has come from it. Mary, on the other hand, she's not operating out of fear at all whatsoever. She's operating out of faith. And guys, fear and faith cannot coexist. Our hearts are fields that are fertile for both faith or fear. The same field that is fertile for fear is fertile for faith or vice versa, but they cannot exist together. We either live for one or we live for the other. A house divided cannot stand, and we are either serving ourselves or we're serving the Lord. Sometimes they can go hand in hand. It's great when they do. Um, so Mary acted out of faith. She had courage to die to her dreams, to die to any possible normalcy that she had envisioned for her life. She, just as the angel spoke to her, nothing is impossible with God. She not only believed it, she acted on that truth. She she had true courage. And guys, true courage is only found oh, in those who have dealt with the fear of death. Um, why is true courage only found in those who have dealt with the fear of death? Because 
if you have courage, you're immune to Satan's biggest weapon, the weapon that he uses more often than anything else, and that's fear. If you have courage in the face of fear, he's undone. He has no power over you. So how do we have that courage? Um, peace is a big part of that. Peace, um, knowing that God is in control. If you have peace, you are not overly concerned with what's going on around you. You're not concerned about what people think of you, whether you're delivering a sermon perfectly or not. Um, but rather, you're focused on pleasing the Lord because you know what he is calling you to. You know what he has spoken over your life. And if he is for you, who can stand against you? Um, Mary understood that she had to sacrifice her own ways and surrender to God's plan for her life. And she did it well. She understood at her very young age that true fulfillment only comes when we're doing what God has called us to do. That our true value lies in our created purpose. And we're, when we're walking out that created purpose well. Um, fear only weakens us, guys. It weakens us from stepping into the fight that God has called us to. Um, there's a couple of men from history that I stumbled across their stories this week and they just seemed to fit perfectly because they understood this concept and displayed it valiantly in battle. George Washington, um, the first president of our country, there's a couple of different stories um, that are passed down about him. He was a general in the army before he was president of the United States. And he, as the army was fighting the British and traveling through the countryside, they would gather up men and young boys from the countryside to serve. They were ill-equipped. They were never trained in battle situations. A third of them didn't have shoes or shirts to wear. They had hunting rifles, not weapons of war. And the worst of all, they were known for retreating when the battle was fiercest. One of the stories told in history of Washington, literally as the fighting was at a peak, every single one of his men turned and ran the other direction. And Washington, instead of retreating with his men, went straight into the heart of the battle. The entire British army unloading their weapons against him his clothing riddled with bullet holes, and yet not one touched him. There's another story told um, during the battle with the Indians, battles with the Indians, that they were, Washington and his men and other generals and leaders were coming down this gauntlet of Indians, and as the arrows and the spears were thrown at them, every other officer was either severely injured or killed, and he wasn't touched. An Indian chief that day prophesied over Washington that he would be the leader of a great nation because God's hand was on him. There's another man uh, closer to this point in history. He just died a couple of years ago. His name was Pasios, and I'm not sure the country of his origin, but 
he had chosen at a young age that he was going to live for the Lord, that his life would be set aside, he would be in a monastery, and he was going to devote his life to his service. But at 18 and 19 years old in that country, you have to serve two years in the armed forces, and they were in a civil conflict at that point. And again, we find ourselves in a battle scene where the enemy has them pinned down. There's nobody to rescue them. There's nobody to come to their aid. And they're stuck. They can't go forward. They can't go backwards. There's nothing they can do. And Pasio stands up, goes to the front with his arms outstretched in the shape of a cross. And all of the enemy's guns are unloaded on him as his men are able to crawl to safety, to that next point where they could get out. Their relatives, the men that were on that battlefield that day, credit him with their lives, and they celebrate him and his valor to this day. Um, bringing it closer to home, Gilbert, my husband, um, he recounts his greatest battles as the times when he is in his word every day and he is in prayer and he is walking. How he knows God is calling him to walk out his life and leading his family well. It is in those times that he feels more of an onslaught from the enemy than any other point. And I can't tell you the conversations we've had where he expresses the struggle and that he just wants to quit in his flesh, that it would be easier to turn and walk away. But I would like to uh, say that our greatest destiny, guys, lies on the other side of our fear. That when we get to that point of exhaustion, when we get when the battle is the fiercest, we have to press through. And it's not until we are on the other side of that fear till we have died to the fear of death. And yes, a few of us in this room may possibly be martyred for our faith. Most of us will just have to choose to die to a few of our dreams, a few of the ways maybe we have envisioned our life might go, maybe some of our control, maybe taking the crown off our own head and bowing our knee to the one true king. Um... Make no mistake, we are all called to fight. We are all called to take our place on the wall and be watchmen for our families, for our friends, for our church families. You know, we might be separated by time from George Washington, from Pasios. But just hearing their stories recounted gives us an inheritance. I don't know about you, but it encourages me to stand and fight. 
that if I know God is calling me to something specific, that I am never safer than when I'm in the center of his will, even if that's on the battlefield. History is written by the acts of courage, guys, not of cowardice. It's written by men and women who are willing to run into battle and face that fight no matter what the cost. I don't know if you've noticed also um, the armor of God. Megan mentioned it just a few minutes ago. We find it in Ephesians 6. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, our feet are shod with peace. But first of all, the only offensive weapon we have is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is why we have to be in it. If we are not in it, we have no strength to fight. Um, but I don't know if you've noticed, there's no protection for our back. It's because we were not made for retreat. We were made to run into battle. Um, there's a couple of scripture references. One in Psalm 78, 9 through 11. says, The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned their back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders that he had shown them. Whew. And one more. In Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. Um, again, when the devil loses his power to scare us in death, guys, he becomes powerless in our lives. So we must learn the power of peace. Why? Because we only have power over the storm that we have peace in. Jesus understood this. His disciples in the boat that day had a lesson to learn. Um, and it is our courage that causes the enemy to know that he's already been defeated because courage is immune to his primary weapon. Um, so, bringing it back to Mary and her song. She starts out glorifying the Lord from her spirit. She's rejoicing in her Savior because he's been mindful of her, this humble servant. She takes such a low posture in all of this. Um, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She's just, she's magnifying the Lord. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And this is exactly what Eve was doing on that fateful day at the beginning of time. Rather than trusting and obeying, she was erecting a kingdom of her own. And she was proud in her inmost thoughts rather than choosing to follow the Lord. She goes on to say, he's brought down rulers from their thrones and he has lifted up 
the humble. Again, just pointing back to if we want him to use us well, it's not done in our own strength. It's not done because of anything that we in ourselves could accomplish, but it's done because his hand of anointing is upon us. She goes on to say that he fills the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. As we, when we come to him every day in our quiet time in the secret place, we need to come hungry, seeking more, because he promises to fill. You ask for more wisdom and he promises to give it. But those of us who consider ourselves rich, um, and I think that describes more of an attitude and a state of mind of, I got this handled, not necessarily what's in your pocketbook, but that I know better. My ways are higher than your ways and I don't need any instruction, guys. If, if you're coming to the Lord with that type of an attitude, I wouldn't expect much, if anything at all. Maybe a taste, but you're gonna go away empty. So, Secret weapons as we stand and fight. Definitely peace. Peace um, that's manifested by courage is a powerful weapon. Um, how do you live that peace out? Well, number one, just from a practical standpoint, we have to have margin in our lives. This busy spin of the 21st century that we live in we are going 100 miles an hour every single day. And if we don't have those quiet margins of our life that are set aside for him first, I don't know how we get through each day. I know on the days that I accidentally skip or miss or sleep in or whatever the case may be, it's like all chaos has been unleashed in my life. So peace is important. Living from your inside man. Um, this is a serving for another day, but living from your inside man. So we're made up of spirit, soul, and body, and we should be living and falling in step with the spirit in us. Our spirit is where the Lord resides, where we commune with him within ourselves. And it is, it's the spirit man that should be leading our actions, the spirit man that should be leading how we respond to our fellow man. And we should use our will to cause our mind and our emotions to walk in step with that. Um, we need to put on the armor of God and absolutely be in our word because it is our only offensive weapon. Humility is key. We have to go low, guys. If we are called to lead, we're called to serve. Faith is a key weapon knowing that no word from God will ever fail. Having courage unto death, having died to the things that once controlled us, that's, that's a key. It's key to be able to hold your desires and your dreams in an open hand and say, Lord, if it serves you better, take them from me. Obedience. When we hear the whisper of God and Sometimes he may come to us in the form of an angelic visit. He might visit us in our dreams, whisper things to our hearts, guys. But for the most part, the promptings of the Holy Spirit are as subtle and as soft and as quiet 
as a feather landing on your arm. And nobody except the Holy Spirit and you and your inner man know that you're being disobedient by not following the promptings. So practice obedience in the small things as much as the large things, because if we're faithful with little, he'll trust us with more. Surrender, surrendering to God's plan, especially during the birthing process. Um, God, for my own story right now, my own struggle, um, a big part of Gilbert and my story is infertility. And in the latter years before Gus came along, around year nine or 10 years into uh, not being able to have children, I decided that I'd back way off from work so that maybe the stress of work on my body would allow me to get pregnant. Didn't work, but in the process, I decided to take a painting class and realized that second only to being in this word and on my face before God, that painting ignited that same passion in me that God does. And I'm sure for different people, passions are very different, very, very different. They could be as different as people on the face of the earth. But God began calling me to make that more central in my life. Gus came along, the busyness of young children. I decided it wasn't my season. Um, I was a kids director at another church, very, very busy, busy with work. And I said no, even though I knew he was calling for me to make it more central in my life, that he would use me in that way to touch other people, even beyond my lifetime, by the art that he would have me create. Prophetic art is my specific calling, but, um, but that he was calling me to that. And I get so distracted, and I get so busy, and I get so bogged down with the laundry and the food and the house and life and work and church and all of it that I, I save my painting for the leftovers. I save it for, I might get to it, I might not. It's been six or seven years now that I know he's been calling me to this and that I have been saying yes to good things, but I haven't been saying yes to the best things that I know that he has created me for. Um, the, the birthing process, let me get back to that, especially... Um, that we need to surrender, especially during the birthing process. That was my thought that got me started on my, my little story there for a second. That it's, it's, Satan doesn't care when he distracts you. He doesn't care when he wins. He doesn't care when he finally gets that seed of fear and doubt in your heart. He can, he can stop it when it first starts. He can um, abort it in the third trimester just before the baby comes. He could take it away from you after the baby gets here. He doesn't care when. He is just after that. If he can keep you out of God's word 
not on your face before him, not walking in that specific calling that God has created you for. Guys, and even in this season right now, I'm going to be 41 in 10 days or so. Um, we are about to be entering into a new decade, all of us, 2020. Um, I just think of the seasons, even in scripture, the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness, and then they stepped into the promised land. Um, it's, it's just, it's in those, that birthing process, guys, that we are, I believe, even more susceptible to the fight from the enemy than any other point. It's in those times that we're being pressured from expectations of others and the calling of God what people are used to us doing and being in their lives for them and for the body as a whole, but yet God is saying, no. So, I want to send you guys away with a few questions. Wrestling within yourselves what God might be calling you specifically to, or Maybe somebody that God is calling you to be a midwife for and what you might be helping them birth in their lives. The questions I have for you are, will we rise to protect our own thrones and our own kingdoms? Will we be so tight-fisted about our dreams and what we want and that we want it our way that we will act out of fear or control or pride? And I would like to suggest that uh, the ultimate form of pride is prayerlessness because we think we can do it without God's help. If we choose to act out of fear or control or pride, just so you know, we're playing directly into Satan's hand. We are literally giving him the trump card over our lives because he can control us rather than us controlling him. Um, fear, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure everybody in the room has them, but I have never liked swimming in the ocean. I don't know, I think I almost drowned at about two and water scares me and the sharks scare me and whatever. So every time I go to the ocean, I make myself get in the water and swim. I face that fear because it's only in facing that fear that its power over me diminishes. If we run the other way, fear, it only grows. Its control over us grows. So will we choose to act as Eve did? Or, like Mary, will we choose to go low? Will we choose to sacrifice the plans for our own lives? To surrender to God's plan? Being part of his kingdom and not just our own? allowing him to birth in us our legacy, our created purpose. What is it that God has been whispering to your heart? Maybe for weeks or days, but maybe for years in my case. What is it that he's calling you to, that he's been challenging you, you in? More than likely, you're going to be feeling hemmed in or squeezed as he's wanting to birth these new things in you. 
in what areas is he calling you to practice peace? And in what areas is he calling you to stand and fight? And more than likely, just like a warrior has to be able to practice peace, those areas are probably the same. They're one and the same. If we succeed, guys, if we overcome, like was mentioned in Revelation 12, 11, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. If we are to overcome in this struggle and give God our whole yes, we could leave a legacy that lasts for all eternity. And just like recounting the stories of George Washington, anytime our story is recounted to another, we will be giving them and leaving them an inheritance that will be calling them also to stand and fight. Um, in the end, guys, True fulfillment only comes when we're doing what God has called us to do. And sometimes, sometimes your greatest contribution might not be something that you do, but for moms out there and dads out there, it might be someone that you raise. Might affect eternity more than our lives ever will. Um, so I would like to pray for us. Um, I don't think we normally do this, but I've seen it done on sermons from other pastors online. Can I get everybody to stand up, please? And can we, can we just stretch out our hands as I pray a prayer for us? And you can follow along. You can pray in your heart. Um, hmm. Thanks, Brian. Oh, Father. Thank you that you're always calling us to a deeper walk with you. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that even though our hearts are deceitful above all things, you understand them. You are calling us to walk in your ways and your wisdom. We repent, God, of erecting our own thrones, our own kingdoms, the fear and the pride and the control that we have acted in, the things that you have tried to birth in us over the years, time and time again. And when the fighting gets fiercest, we push the abort button. We turn and we run, even though we know you are calling us to walk in those created purposes. God, cause our hearts to turn more towards you in obedience. If there is pride, humble us. Help us to loosen our fists and that grip of how we've always done things. And instead, surrender it to your plan for our lives. It is your will and it is your ways that we long to run in. Be our courage, Lord. 
thank you. Amen.